to be uh, with this, with Chris on here on this presentation, but also Terry, you know, uh, with your, with your group as well, it's just, uh, it's a great honor because I know you, you stepped out of a kind of higher ed academia uh, to do this. It's uh, uh, anybody who does that, you can tell it's a great, it's a great passion of theirs. So, so thank you for, for doing that and all the great work you do and for asking us to do this today. So, uh, you know, with the uh, current situation with study abroad, there are a lot of things to think about, of course. And one of the things that you're, you're talking about are super important. How do, we, how do we teach intercultural competencies possibly without, without maybe going uh, on location abroad? And uh, it's difficult for us to think about this, but really we have to start thinking less about the location but more about the person. And before I go any further, I just want to double check. Uh, is audio sounding okay, uh, Terry? Yeah, it's great. Thanks. Perfect. So why did I choose a PhD in intercultural communication? That is because uh, there came a point in my doctoral work where I was, I really wanted to be a mentor. I wanted to be able to teach this stuff and, and work with students and communication and I had to decide if I was going to focus on interpersonal or intercultural communication. And it's kind of funny and it's kind of uh, strange in a way probably, but I thought, you know what? There are greater travel opportunities if I study intercultural communication. And there are much greater reasons that I've learned over time uh, why I'm in this field. But there was a moment where I, that was one of my reasons. But what's interesting is uh, I found myself in this uh, challenging situation. And, and if you've ever led study abroad, which, which I've led some study abroad opportunities for students uh, when I was a professor, I was a professor for 14 years. And so during that period, when I would initiate a study abroad opportunity for students, there was always this paperwork to fill out. And uh, I think as a lot of us who have worked in study abroad before know that sometimes uh, school administrators believe that, that study abroad is just this simple kind of go play, have fun, do cool things internationally. And, and there are some definitely some really great benefits of being a part of an international education program. However, there's a lot of paperwork and a lot of processes to go through behind the scenes to make sure that everything, everybody's safe, that everybody is taken care of, that things are done correctly. And so I always came to this challenging question in our paperwork that I had to fill out for the university. And they would ask, can this content be learned in a traditional classroom? <laughs> and, you know, if you're like me, it's a moment of truth because, yes, probably the content, whatever it was, could be taught in the classroom. Uh, but I'd kind of like to go teach it somewhere else, right? I, I would like to go be able to go to Rome or go to Venice mm -hmm. or go to Paris and, and teach these concepts about intercultural competency uh, and intercultural communication, international business, those types of subjects. I would like to go teach them in Paris because that, mm -hmm. that sounds kind of fun. It sounds more fun <laughs> than possibly doing that in my classroom. So you know, I always felt like, okay, do I put yes here? If I put yes here, am I less likely to get to do this? Like, what's the, what's the catch? And so, you know, I think a lot of us, if we ask ourselves why we, we do study abroad work, well, I think a lot of us would say, I do it because, because I want to influence 
a student's ability to develop cross-culturally. So student intercultural competency development. Now, the interesting thing right now is that COVID-19 has called our bluff. <laughs> our, is that really our altruistic motive here? And I, right. on one hand, it is. Yes, I mean, I, if, if you've led study abroad before, and I'm sure a lot of you listening have, it is so fun to, to get to not only mentor students on campus, but to get to mentor students internationally, especially students who've never left the country, and to see them for the first time begin to kind of move beyond some of the initial anxieties and to experience other cultures and to realize things and to think, okay, so what I thought to be true all these years, maybe is I'm just kind of shaking this up a little bit and I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm thinking about this. They're, they're processing this. That's really rich. But um, can, again, going back to that question, can that content be learned in the traditional classroom? So again, COVID-19 has called our bluff on this. Uh, do we really have to do an international experience with the students in order to teach intercultural competencies for those students. And I think that's where going back to this idea, it's, it's less about the location and it's more about the person or the student. So universities now, administrators and students are now expecting intercultural competency development to be accessible. And so even if there's a no departure, if there's not a, a flight somewhere, uh, we want uh, on-campus accountability. Is this going to happen on campus as well or instead of? Uh, they, want, they want this process to be uh, immediate, but also ongoing. So not just a one-time experience, but ongoing. And for it to be kind of available anytime, anywhere. And so we're looking at kind of uh, app-based solutions as well as not only how do we teach competencies on campus, but how do we do that in a streamlined way? So that, case in point, right now, if a student is no longer able to come to campus, can he or she still access those, those learning modules and things uh, wherever, whenever? So some examples of some schools who are doing this and, and really uh, thriving in this. Guilford College, you know, there are different rating systems out there. Uh, one, one rating system uh, ranked at Guilford College and one of the top five study abroad programs in the nation. It's not by the sheer size of their program. It's not a huge school, but just the quality of their programming. And they, they have begun to launch an on-campus intercultural competence, competency assessment and education initiative. Uh, Oklahoma State University has implemented an online intercultural competency program the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. I know, Terry, you mentioned earlier, main campus in Austin, University yep. of Texas. Mm -hmm. Rio Grande Valley has a significant, as you can imagine, uh, they're right on the uh, Mexico-U.S. Mexico border. A large percentage of their students uh, uh, literally come across the border on a daily basis for class. And so uh, they implemented uh, a program and saw a 9% improvement in intercultural competency over a single semester on campus. So for, for students engaging cross-culturally, they were able to see an incredible impact 
on their student body and the students didn't have to travel to Paris or those types of things. So, so can, can it be taught in the traditional or sometimes we call online, even classroom now? Can intercultural competency be taught uh, in this way without having to go on location? Well, we've, we've actually been looking at this for quite some time. A picture here with me is Dr. Carly Dodd, uh, one of the leading scholars in intercultural communication and competency research. And Carly is in his 70s now. He was a professor in this area for 47 years prior to retirement. And uh, he launched, the last part of his career, launched a, a significant research initiative to be able to help us better understand and individuals' uh, cross-cultural skills, aptitudes, those types of things, be able to assess that and then train people on those things, whether or not they go on location or they, they study abroad, for example. And so uh, during that 20-year research initiative, I was involved with him for about 15 years on that project. Uh, so 20 years of research, development, and testing actually does confirm that it can be taught Intercultural competencies can be taught on campus or an online school situation. And so uh, at GoCulture, this is some of the stuff that we actually do. So we, through, through your app on a phone, uh, you know, we're able to do assessment, give scores, provide video training, uh, coaching, hands-on activities, give data, podcast certification for individual, for students, uh, journaling, all these things. And what we're finding is that if we can assess students plus provide coaching for them all in a scalable handheld through an app process, then we can see a much greater return on that investment of time for those students. So we, without having to necessarily take them abroad, we can still influence their intercultural competency and provide data to show the impact that we are having as a department. I think right now, a lot of study abroad uh, departments and, and schools are going to struggle with justifying, uh, uh, justifying kind of their spot, their place in, in the university. And that's gonna to be tough because if international travel is slow to come back it may or may not be but if it, if it is slow to come back how do we as a as a department within a school um, how do we know we can say hey we're still going to influence the student body maybe not just the 100 students who went study abroad but we can actually we can actually teach intercultural competency across the entire campus that's our wheelhouse right as a study abroad department we know how to do that and so there are tools out there to be able to do assessment and coaching and training and certification for these for an entire student body without those students having to actually pack up, pay the money and go to go go abroad. So there are some good news. There are some solutions available to, to be able to do this. Um, and, and as Terry mentioned earlier, I'm going to hang around here for a little bit. And uh, and after following uh, Chris, if I have some time answer some questions. My email address, though, is here on screen. You can email me uh, with, with questions as well. And uh, if I can stick around a little bit longer, I want to. So uh, 
but with that, I want to turn over either to Terry or, or to Chris for kind of the next step here. Sure. And uh, if you'll uh, stop your share, I'll go ahead and introduce Chris. Absolutely. Great. Thanks a lot. That was great. Um, I already have lots of things I want to discuss about that. But um, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and transition to Chris. And uh, if you'll introduce yourself, then if you, I don't, did you have a PowerPoint to share? No, I'm just, it's, okay. it's all coming from the heart here. Perfect. Terry. Then I'll just put up our, uh, our uh, bio of you so people can see that. Perfect. Thanks. Splendid. Well, thanks very much, um, both Terry and Justin. It's an honor to be here and uh, to be unpacking what we're all going through at the moment and looking at uh, towards what might be new normal. And um, I think it's really powerful and really important to be having these discussions, really online, in person. Obviously, it's not possible at the moment, but um, I applaud Terry for for what she's doing here. And uh, and again, um, I would say it's it's an honor to be to be co-presenting with uh, with Justin. Um, everywhere I go, his name is mentioned <laughs> uh, in a positive light, should I say? Um, so so it's great to be uh, to be here. Uh, so. Um, as uh, Terry mentioned, my name is Chris Lawler. I'm the CEO of a, a boutique provider. We're based in Ireland and we offer programming across Ireland, UK, the continent of Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and also through partners in uh, East and Southeast Asia. Uh, we uh, deliver uh, customized faculty-led programming. That's what we started off doing, but we also now do uh, research programs for our partners, uh, semester programs, uh, and um, also a lot of uh, uh, experiential internship and service learning programs um, and we tend to uh, work with a smaller number of, of uh, universities mostly in the states um, and work much much deeper we're a relationship-based uh, organization and as such um, I think one of the key things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis for all of our teams is listen um, and I think our our industry, our sector, is built on interpersonal relationships. And I, I think uh, the the interesting piece and the slightly ironic piece is, is listening to uh, to Justin there um, speaking about you know the uh, uh, how we can teach intercultural competence at a distance. Um, it almost seems like uh, something that 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 is a uh, uh, contradiction in terms, but but it isn't, and it's also the bedrock upon which our uh, sector uh, exists. Um, bear with me here. My computer is is uh, I've had computer. It's it's a miracle I'm here all, all, at all today. Um, I think um, what we have been COVID nineteen is a is a, a huge disruptor uh, within study abroad the industry. Uh, there isn't a an, an individual stakeholder that isn't now wondering how does my position look like? What does my organization look like in, in five or six months time or a year's time or two years time or whatever it is? Um, and there's two ways to look at everything in life, but particularly um, within from the, the prism of study abroad, we can look at things negatively and we can look at the things positively. And as a, as a, a program consultancy, um, we are kind of close to grassroots. We are connecting the visions of, of senior administrators and lead faculty, um, and we are building and molding international experiences, in-person international experiences um, for uh, as relevant to what they're, they're looking for. And I think there's three things to note um, about it, and it behooves us all to think about this, that um, we have to try and look on the positive and the silver lining of what is happening right now. It's given us a time to be able to stop 
and contemplate, are we doing things correctly? Just because we've been doing them this way doesn't necessarily mean uh, that this is the right way for us to, do, to, to continue to do so. Um, I think it behooves all of us not to come out the other side of COVID-19, the same organization with the same policy, the same procedure, um, uh, and the same offering um, that we did when we came in. Um, and I think the last thing that I would, I would like to say just in start um, is to say, I think that this industry lives and dies by um, the passion of the staff that are uh, delivering and molding and, and uh, envisaging new uh, and innovative ways to, to deliver programming. Um, and one of the things that I've really felt in my heart in the last um, six weeks as I've been staying in contact with partners is the real grief that uh, frontline administrators are feeling that staff are feeling that uh, students are feeling for the loss of this global experience um, on, a, on, a, on a huge basis. Um, but I also applaud them in terms of what's happened and the fact that we've stood up and we're saying, okay, well, how are we going to how are we going to counteract these? So, what I want to talk a little bit about is the pressures that each of the individual stakeholders are feeling because I think right now the way for us to get through this is to harness the relationships that we have and to to back each other up and to know uh, the, the, the best way to do that is to have a better understanding of the different pressures that both within our organization, the different layers of management are feeling, but then also the different stakeholders within study abroad. So universities, so host organizations, so third party providers, those types of things. They're all feeling similar, but maybe slightly different pressures. And these are the things that we have to understand um, uh, as, we, as we go through this. So when we're looking at our, our university partners and uh, we, we run a, a, a podcast as well, um, looking at the effects of COVID-19 in the industry. And so it's been really interesting over the last five or six weeks to speak to our partners and hear what, what we're looking at. And mostly when we're talking with senior level administrators, the, the pressures that they're feeling are the, the total shutdown of their programs, things like missing departmental and institutional internationalization goals, and how do they re-prime uh, the machine thereafter, you know, in a post-COVID world with goalposts changed. Um, they have a pressure to look for alternative solution in the immediate, and what does it look like afterwards? They're looking at loss of earnings, they're looking at refunds, having punched huge holes in their budgets, disgruntled staff, disgruntled students, parents ringing in. These are, these are everyday things at the moment and we're hoping that, we're, that they're working through it and they're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. But I think for those of you that maybe have uh, a, a boss that is, that is slightly less flexible than usual, cut them some slack. This is the things that they're going through. In terms of those frontline administrators, those advisors, they're disheartened. These are the people that spend many more hours than they're paid to developing these types of programmings. They're on the front line with students. They, they are now turned into grief counselors. One of the outputs of COVID-19 is the many hundreds of thousands, millions across the world of students that have been really looking forward to a life-changing experience, be it something like a 10-day short-term Maymester program or a full summer semester or their first international internship, those types of things. Many people have, have come into that decision-making um, uh, committee and people have contributed to the, the costs and those types of things. So they're going through this grief and what we're finding with, with uh, frontline um, study abroad advisors is that they are not trained counsellors um, and all they can do is, is, is listen as I said at the top of, of, of uh, my chat, um, and um, provide whatever makes sense to them at the time in, ter in terms of this kind of counseling piece. Um, 
but also they're stressed for their own positions, the furlough, the redundancy situation in their own institution. They're not sure what's going on um, and they don't know what the future holds for them. And that's a difficult thing um, to maintain your enthusiasm for your work. And that's what this industry survives on um, and to stay emotionally invested in, in their programming and looking forward to, to, to next year. What we're finding now um, with institutions is we have this strange situation whereby we're having our usual conversation now, 12, 18 months out about building programs for next year with that large uncertainty about whether there is going to be a next year in study abroad. You know, our feeling is that um, with most of our partners, what we've looked at is that they are, they have called it up to August and they're looking at uh, fall at the moment. Is it happening? Is it not happening? And they're assuming that 2021 from January onwards is going to is going to go. Do we know if that's the the, uh, the right solution at this stage? No, we don't. But but that's where we're at. Pressures that students are facing. They're quite simply distraught. Their dreams are are gone. Um, they've been dashed. Uh, who knows what? Certainly, you know, a lot of maybe underrepresented students, first gen, low income students um, have gone through a huge, huge process to try and get to this, both emotionally, saving money, those types of things. Um, and uh, it takes a lot of courage to get there. And then suddenly it's whipped from under you and you wonder, will they have the chance to be able to go again? These are the things that, that we're going through. A lot of them are, are stressed about progression. Students are, 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 they need a study abroad uh, credit, they need in, an, in, an internship credit, they need some kind of credit that we're going to take this summer, and that's no longer there for them. And uh, what does that mean in terms of their, their prog progression to graduation and those types of things? And even outside of universities, you know, this industry is not just institution to institution, there's a big role for third party providers um, like Go Culture, like Learn International, like many, many others. And the, profession, the pressures that they're feeling in terms of keeping their, their head above water there are a lot a lot of staff uh, that have been furloughed that have been laid off those types of things and a continuity of service for partnerships maintaining those relationships one thing i think that is really important uh, certainly as a as a provider for for service uh, learning programs we do quite a lot of is that the far-reaching knock-on of this and i'm aware at the moment i'm speaking a lot about negatives but I, I i just want people to you know kind of trying to open up the um uh, uh, that that um realization that there are different pressures at different levels and then also different pressures from different stakeholders. Um, and one of the things that we're feeling um, that's becoming very stressful for us is that um, host communities and host providers and fourth party uh, that we work with in, in delivering our programs are feeling the knock-on effect. We specifically work with a lot of second tier um, uh, urban areas and also smaller rural rural communities down to you know two, three hundred people. Um, and they have their own um, particular social issues um, but our model is a sustainable model to leave behind money within the, the, the uh, regions that are needing us most. And as we build out programs, we may come with a 12-week program, we may come with a, a six-week program. And the, the communities are expecting this to come, the, the investment and the money that's left behind and uh, that connection um, between institution in the States and community, wherever that might be outside of the States, is now gone for this year. Um, and uh, that has left a hole uh, on many levels there. 
Um, uh, an example, we work with a, with a, uh, a large program where we are the only provider that works with the refugee center in Galway City, um, and we provide some of programming for them. We also work with autism um, areas and elderly. And it's, um, uh, it is one of those knock-on effects that is, that is uh, being felt, but maybe not necessarily realized across, across the industry. So again, I go back to the fact that the way we get through this is realizing these pressures and coming together to help each other and support our, our way through it. So what, what are colleges doing in terms of mitigation of these types of things? So um, on a senior level, obviously the financial piece is something that is going to be a major issue. So working with your, with your providers, working with your partners and looking at uh, innovative and flexible ways uh, in terms of refunds, looking at voucher systems, um, looking at a, um, a shift from one program to another. Uh, possibly we have programs that we were running in uh, in-person internships and shifting to an online model um, and looking at what that means in terms of refunds and those types of things so that there's a recognition um, that there's pressures on both sides but together we're going to get through this stronger things like that um, other things um, what we're finding now is obviously given what's happened at the moment there is this renewed focus on um, all things online virtual experiences virtual exchange virtual internships and um, what we're finding is that a lot of a lot of institutions do not necessarily have a full institutional policy in regards to this. It's a faculty to faculty piece, it's a department to department piece, um, but it, it's not one cohesive policy. So if this is what's happening in your institution, what we need to do is again look at the silver lining. We have time now. We might not necessarily want the time in this instance, but we have the time. And now is the time to be looking at these virtual experience audits. So if you if you're one of the institutions that doesn't have this, then it's about reaching out across the institution to departments to faculty and saying who is doing this and how are you doing it and what platform are you using and so find out what's happening within your institutions at the moment that that forms the bedrock for you to understand what competence is within your institutions and then look at forming a committee a virtual exchange committee which has resource and funding and has a remit and deadlines set behind that in, in terms of a institutional competency within uh, virtual exchange because uh, it has been uh, it has been with us for for many years, um, but a, a lot of institutions have not got to the point that um, they have really um, embraced it on a full institutional level and now is the time to do that. Um, in terms of mitigation at a, at a, a student a study abroad level, um, I mentioned earlier that uh, grief counseling is something that is becoming a major issue for uh, for students. How do they unpack this grief? How do they move forward? And a lot of advisors are feeling feeling um, uh, difficult. Opening up and connecting college counseling services with study abroad and delivering that service together, or delivering or find, providing a pathway for students to to go to pre predetermined seminars and and um, and uh, unpacking sessions is something I think that that can be helpful and, and a lot of our partners are doing and also I think from the point of view of the stress within the staff being open and honest with them what is happening with staff what are your plans for staffing within study abroad for the next three six nine twelve months those types of things 
people need to be able to know this so that they have their life outside of work they can they can work through it these are things that are very important some of the things i found really interesting in um the podcast that we've been chatting through um as we've been talking to people all across the world at all levels is uh, the things that teams are doing in terms of remote um uh, remote and uh, keeping that team spirit together i've actually found that there's been <laughs> there has been more kind of innovation in terms of that team spirit piece than there maybe has in the work process this piece I would read into that how you will um, but you know uh, speaking with with Angel Palumbo from from NAU just uh, oh, a couple of days ago and they have a weekly team quiz they have team happy hours um, ourselves in Learn International what we what we did in terms of keeping a structure of a day is that we start our day here in Ireland at nine o'clock and the first half hour in the day is a get to know each other session absolutely no work is talked about and um, we spend just kind of shooting the breeze with our colleagues. And if we have a problem with that, we actually nominate a day of a week that one of staff member has a question. So, you know, what was the food that you guys couldn't, didn't, didn't like when you were growing up, these types of things. And it's brought this amazing kind of a, a mixture and an understanding of who these colleagues are outside of work. And we feel closer now than we did when we started, which is just the real irony, I think, of COVID-19 in general. Um, uh, we've also started a blog, a staff blog, which has actually turned out just uh, being um, a, a way of processing what every one of our staff members is feeling. And it's, and it's uh, you will find it on our, on our, uh, our website at learninternational.ie. Um, and it, it just gives an insight into people, what people are feeling. And what are people doing in terms of the students? So this is all about the students and their experience. Um, providing a way for them to be able to, as I say, unpack and look at their, at their, their debrief. I um, was speaking with um, uh, Engineering in the University of Florida the other day, and they have a coffee hour, a virtual coffee hour once a week that students are free to drop into if they want to. With no particular remit, it's really just a chat. Um, and allowing them then to, to, to express what their concerns are in a, an open and, and friendly uh, uh, atmosphere. Um, and, uh, and that seems to be working quite well uh, for them. And just about listening to students, allowing them a space to vent. One or two of our partners have spoken about the fact that, you know, they're feeling students maybe have lost out on money, that, those types of things. They're feeling these, these uh, feelings. They don't know how to, how to uh, really express it. And actually providing these sessions and these webinars um, allows the students to, to vent, but it's not necessarily focused at study abroad offices or the universities, those type of things. They just want to be heard. That's all, that's all they want. And then afterwards, ensuring that you're reaching out to each and every one of the students that were supposed to travel this, this, this semester or this summer or wherever it is, um, and listening to their individual story. Again, listening. Listening to their story. You know, what, what did it take for you to get to where you are now? What's happening with you in terms of your progression? Let's find a pathway for you to, first of all, graduate in case there's issues. And then second of all, let's, let's get you overseas or let's, let's in, in, incorporate this, this intercultural piece. Let's go talk to, 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 to Go Culture and let's get you, you, you set up with one of their programs so that we can work towards that. And so then you feel that it's a positive piece. The student leaves, even though they're still at home and they're only doing it on a virtual basis, uh, they're feeling that, okay, we're moving forward. And, and, and it's that positivity that I think is really important. And lastly, I think it's, it's about faculty, okay? Yes. A lot of study abroad <laughs> is, a lot of study abroad, I, I tell you, I wasn't going to forget about them. Um, you could never forget about faculty. Um, you know, they are, they are, the, they are um, the drivers of so many programs that would never happen 
if it wasn't for their passion. And so they themselves will be obviously disappointed. There's a huge amount of administrative enforcement to developing faculty-led program. And so for them, I think, again, the same thing is reaching out to them and saying, okay, what is your situation? Can we shift this program next year? Do you have personal availability? Oh, you don't have availability in the first two weeks in May. Well, what about doing a winter program? Or let's shorten it and do a spring break program or something like that. It fits in within your, you know, your institutional parameters. And so that you're providing them with these, with these options. I think um, I'd like to give a shout out to that academic community because I know that many of them have shifted their courses online in a matter of weeks, which is just a gargantuan um, a task. And I think that if, if we all had, hadn't have seen COVID coming and suggested, hey guys, any chance you could shift your, your uh, summer courses on, online over a three week period? I, I, I doubt we would like to, I don't think I could actually iterate what the, uh, the response would be here on this forum, but, um, but it did happen and it's amazing. And I think it's important again to keep this positivity piece happening. I'm nearly finished. Um, uh, so um, I think you know there's two different things that that are happening now there's this short-term solution that we that is required over the next four or five six months in terms of this gap that's that that these students are filling these institutions are filling what are what are institutions doing well they're looking at shifting across from in-person um, programs to anything that can be delivered in terms of uh, a, a remote piece um, virtual internships are widely available at this stage they were not widely available about two months ago. Uh, and I think a lot of providers, us included, have shifted across. And what you're, what you're, what you're shifting from is this in-person mobility piece to a project-based international competence um, uh, program, essentially. And this is something that will feed into longer-term institutional goals. Um, they're also looking at virtual experiences. We're working with, a, with a, a program at George Mason University, which is an international arts management program. And this was essentially going to coming to Ireland and speaking to, um, uh, you know, stakeholders within the arts management area in Ireland. And now what we have is moved it online students will take it online and we have a series of webinars from those those um, individual contributors in Ireland that are coming online to deliver their expertise that way. And then lastly, something a little bit more integrated is this, this um, virtual exchange piece, you know, the example being the COIL Institute in, in the State University of New York or anybody who has been on the Erasmus Pro Plus virtual exchange website, there's a lot of good material there and a lot of good videos and it's, uh, and it's all open and free for, for everybody to see. Plus individual providers that maybe centrally facilitate individual students coming in into international, uh, international group project work. And I think that there, there is a, a space for this in the immediate but I think what's more important is for us to be thinking, again, we cannot be the same institutions, we cannot be the same organizations on the other side of COVID-19 that we are at the moment. And so we have to look at this disruption of the sector as a silver lining piece. We have to look at the fact that, you know, the USP that maybe some of, uh, some of the study abroad programs are using as a sales tool for, for students to come and study in your university as, to, as, 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 to, as distinct to another one. What, what does the, the, the breakdown of study abroad mean for that? Well, we have to stand up and move on to the next Duration of study abroad. And that means that while in the interim there is this, you know, uh, mutually exclusive replacement of virtual for in-person, 
in the long term, it is mutually dependent. So what we're looking at, everybody has is aware of the term of the global citizen, and this is the likes of, of Go Culture and Justin are really feeding into building global citizens. But now what we're going to have is this connection of the two, which I, I like to call globally competent techno-citizens. And so this is a, it's something like an example of a four-stage process where you're integrating something like Go Culture's program in on campus in, in the first instance, working towards a virtual exchange or a virtual experience project worth work with international students in varying countries, working then on step three into an actual mobility where students are going in both directions. And then fourth, again, back to the likes of co-culture or, or others, unpacking the experience and reflecting. And this as a whole is a seamless process that brings in both in-person competency and also on com on online competency, which we know now that the 21st century graduates and all of our institutions want to be pushing out not only globally competent graduates, but also technically competent graduates. And the opportunity for study abroad now is to be front-facing in that kind of march towards this new this new graduate. Absolutely. I think that's great. That's, I think that's about it. I just want to yep. say thanks so much, Terry, for facilitating. Sorry if I took a little bit more time than. than oh no worries. I mean, luckily we had a little extra time, but mm -hmm. uh, because we lost our, our our third participant. But I know if Lenise Agri were here, she would raise the issue. Well, first of all, you already talked about faculty, and I think that's one of the most important things we need to keep in mind is that we we have to keep faculty engaged. Um, you know, one of the points somebody raised was that um, you know how. Basically, study abroad international programs may be a target for budget cuts, and I know in the past they have been. Um, but I think one of the ways to uh, push against that is to get faculty engaged and involved and say, look, you know, this is, it's not just about study abroad and the students, it's also about the faculty. Um, you know, the faculty, uh, you know, need to step up and, and ex help to explain why these programs are so important. Um, but also, you know, one of the big uh, things I really focused on when I was working with our study abroad program at UT Austin was access and for, for students, uh, low income students, students who might not be considered, you know, the traditional study abroad <laughs> targets. And, <clears throat> you know, actually, some of this work we're talking about now is has already been get, coming into play because of students who may not be able to, you know, afford study abroad, even though we can provide scholarships and so on, or don't have time in their schedules to study abroad. And so that's why I think this is a really good time to be, you know, rethinking the way we approach, um, you know, cultural competency and these types of topics, because um, we want to make sure that every student has access to these experiences. And I love the idea of like international group projects, um, you know, developing relationships with, and that's why I think collaboration is key, you know, developing um, relationships with in, uh, institutions abroad that, um, you know, and we're, we're I should mention, we're having a, a, an international moment now because we're, we're talking to somebody in Ireland. <laughs> so this is not that difficult to do, folks. Um, but uh, I know you guys all know that, uh, but, uh, you know, finding ways to connect students in, in ways that we, we haven't focused on as much in the past. Um, I think we've had a very traditional approach to study abroad, um, and, and that's great, but uh, it, it, there's just going to be less, I think the resources that are going towards study abroad, are, we're going to decline regardless, um, and so things like go culture, things like um, these developing international relationships that we can utilize to develop uh, 
more you know, online types of engagement, I think are gonna be important. So in any case, Chris, there was a, a question for you I wanted to come back to, which mm -hmm. I think um, you know, is a very interesting one. And do you, what do you predict for consolidation, mergers, acquisitions, and liquidations of various organizations in the study about broad provider industry? Okay, um, that's a that's that's one hell of a question. What do yes, I predict for that? Um, there is no doubt that we will see um, we will see closures in the not too distant future. Um, I, I think that's 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 a, a fait accompli at this stage. Um, I think certainly um, when we look at ourselves, um, you know, we're relatively lucky in that we have a, a flexibility. I mentioned at, the, at the, the front end that we're we're a, a smaller uh, provider, we're a boutique provider, and the way we 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 work on a, a, on a, a global basis is through a series of, of networks of, of uh, partners that are similar to ourselves. So this is a kind of a competition model rather than a competition model. We're stronger together. Um, and I think we'll see a lot more of that happening. Um, uh, one of the things that I have, um, I suppose, uh, I feel sorry saying this, but you, you, I take a little bit of solace is, um, from is that everybody is feeling the same issues. And so while we may not have as many overheads as some of the larger uh, providers um, and then vice versa, um, everybody is hit uh, at the same institution. So I think the real issue is going to be not maybe in the next two or three months, uh, you know, I mean, suppose getting to a, what we would all uh, agree to be the other side of COVID, it's the tail end afterwards. And so while maybe skies will open and universities and programs will open again, the concern that I would have is the confidence within the marketplace and that mm -hmm. being, you know, that decision-making committee, the parents, the guardians, the other friends and family that go into the, the decision as to whether somebody is going to go overseas for the first time or the 10th time, it doesn't matter. The question is, do we feel confident that they can go and travel to South Africa or they can travel to Australia or to Japan or, or Ireland or wherever it is? And yes, there'll be different confidences in different areas, but in general, it's that tail end that I think is going to be... The, the, the piece that that really I unfortunately I think kills off a, a, a number of, of, of organizations I think what you'll see is that you have you know every second I know this well <laughs> every second week um, there are multiple new providers that may not necessarily happen now but um, there the, the area or the, the, the provider sector is 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 characterized by maybe 10 to 15 large, large brands. And I think what you will see is, is those that are, um, have a, a, a cash surplus, uh, something to sit on, um, will be able to, to find bargains and to bring in capacity in areas that they maybe traditionally haven't really looked at, uh, but they're interested in. I think you'll see the larger um, institutions looking to strengthen their virtual online um, competencies um, and uh, to try and kind of, corner of the market in that regard i would imagine um so it, it's a it's an exciting time it's a worrying time um but i think the only that way to confront it is to stand up and move forward and say well, well we are going to choose this strategy we've looked at what our situation is these are our partners we're listening to them they're listening to us and we can see that this is the way forward um and um outside of that i, I find it difficult to, to to think otherwise but definitely i think we'll see we'll see uh, quite a number of closures pre-christmas um and then i think we'll probably see just pre-christmas and after christmas um, mergers starting to happen you know i suppose 
flirting conversations and what have you. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I had uh, posted in the chat, and for those of you who haven't checked out the chat yet, please do and, and put your questions there, um, is this idea of, so obviously virtual learning opportunities are going to be critical going forward. Um, and, but also advocating for study abroad and, and international learning opportunities. And, and Chris, I'm wondering, um, you know, how do you feel about developing, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if any of the larger uh, organizations like NAPSA and so on are, um, you know, interested in, in helping to develop a working group that would help to, you know, working with organizations like yours to help develop um, some ideas around virtual learning online, you know, talking about challenges study abroad is facing. I and mean, we certainly have a platform uh, if we can, uh, you know, help folks uh, through that process. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I think uh, there are a lot of segmented, separate, autonomous conversations going on within individual networks, personal networks, and, and, and what have you. Um, I've been party to, to a few of them, but I still am waiting to see that one real uh, leader in the industry coming out and occupying that space and saying, okay, here we are. Um, this is, yeah. We're going to facilitate this. I don't think it's happened yet. Right. I think there's a space for that, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I agree because I'm seeing that um, more broadly in higher ed that uh, there's, you know, there hasn't really been somebody, you know, taking, I mean, we're trying to step up by through these webinars and so on, but um, mm. I think we, we do need to, and we would love to all get you, all of you engaged so that we could create that space where folks can come. I mean, that's the whole purpose of why we created the Center for Higher Education Leadership and are doing these webinars. You know, we, we wanted to create a space where people can come together and discuss these issues. So, I mean, that's something we can certainly explore. And if you're interested in that, please, um, you know, I know you guys are already connected with us, but um, we would love to create a forum for you guys to get together and keep this an ongoing discussion. Um, and uh, for example, Tracy has a, a handful of videos on intercultural competencies. You know, Go Culture has uh, some great stuff on, on intercultural competency, but you know, we need, you know, we need to figure out ways to share this information. Um, and it's really interesting because actually right at the beginning of all of this with the COVID coronavirus and COVID-19, um, you know, I was tracking all of these ways that people were, so it, so the way I described it, we've kind of gone in waves in terms of what people are focused on uh, with the crisis. And initially it was just getting online period. And for study abroad, it was getting people home. <laughs> and, and now people are starting to, you know, we, we're past that immediate crisis point, now people are starting to realize, oh, wait a second, what are we going to do for next year? You know, study abroad has to be planning things out for the next three years, at least, <laughs> um, you know, and so I think we're just, I think part of the reason we haven't seen that consolidation yet is we, we're just now starting to think through these scenarios and like, well, wait a second, you know, you know, if I'm a, a dean or a provost, it's like I got these faculty who are signed up to teach abroad next year, you know, do I shift those courses back home? Do I cancel them? You know, all of those kinds of things. And um, I'm, I'm sure we could get a, a really good uh, discussion going. So, um, but uh, we will uh, send a note out to everybody and just uh, let people know that we do have a forum available. And um, let me go back to um, this question from 
Schiemann, H. Schiemann, uh, thinking in terms of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, students are currently mentally, emotionally exhausted and have technology fatigue. Do any of the presenters, do you think our role in the short term should be to take a step back from our agenda and figure out how to support the basic needs of higher education in our students? Or professionally, should we go full steam ahead to prove how innovative we can be, even if students, faculty, and staff are just not at that place mentally or emotionally at this time? Or is it a de delicate balance of both? I have an answer, but Chris, I'll let you go first. Okay, uh, that's a mouthful. Um, but I, I, I like the sentiment behind it, and I think um, I, I really think that's a, that's a, uh, there's no one definite answer to that. My personal feeling is that I think, um, again, it's really important to try and see a silver lining and to, to, to embrace, uh, you know, what good there can come out of the crisis that we're in at the moment. And for me and for our organization, it's provided us space. It's provided us a situation where there's a pause button. And I, I am, I dread looking back on this and not having um, reflected and not having said, okay, you know, for once we could slow down a little bit and we could really look at ourselves objectively and say, is, is this where we're at? So I don't think that necessarily the two are, are, um, are separate when you're saying stand up and, and march ahead. I think you need to have time to reflect in order to be able to strategize on what it is that you are going to, to do in terms of blazing a trail and, um, Things that, for example, I was just looking, noting there, that other things I would be suggesting people look at now is that without doubt, from a practical level, there's going to have to be a review of internal uh, policy, brief on pr uh, policy, um, uh, repatriation, you know, um, insurance, all of those types of things. And that takes a lot of time. Um, and so I think now we have the time to be able to do that. I agree with you, Terry. I think um, maybe the reason that we haven't really seen the stronger conversations that are coming is that people are really just coming out of the fog and the mayhem of, you know, how do we, how do we to bring students home? How do we make refunds? How do we plan for what, whatever is, 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 is to come? So I think that that's an important thing. And something else I think is important is that ultimately, I think increasingly, um, there is a, we're, we're trying to, not necessarily convince, but we're trying to um, show students um, a path towards, towards study abroad and a reason to study abroad. A certain cohort of students are, are, are really just gung-ho for graduation and get out in the workplace and those types of things and don't necessarily see the benefit of it. And so we need tools to be able to do that. And there's no better tool than one student speaking about their experience that they had and how that changed their life. At Learn International, when we started, part of the reason we started our podcast was to be able to speak at this multi-level, to, to speak to the students that are graduated now and have been studying abroad. And so if your institutions haven't recorded these things, now is the time to reach out to your alumni. Now is the time to reach out to those that have just studied abroad and to record that in video blog or, or, or regular blog or, or webinar or whatever it is. And to, this this is gold. This stuff is what other students that are finding it difficult to pull the trigger on whether they want to study abroad or not need to hear. And we rarely have the time and effort to be, uh, space to be able to do that. So I think uh, it's a long-winded answer, but I, I think there, we shouldn't stand up and, and go. I think we need to take four or five months the summer, whatever, whatever it is in your own instances, um, but use that time to reflect and then to plan what your strategy is going to be uh, from there on out. Um, I think it would be a shame um, not to at least embrace the space that we have, that we've been given. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I, just a reminder, we are recording this presentation. And um, I'm going to ask very nicely if, if Chris and, and um, uh, just so people know, Justin, we have Justin and Chris today. Um, actually, I'll leave that there again. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind up, mind um, writing up just a quickie paragraph on, on your thoughts, we would love to share that with our group. And um, maybe have that be a launching point for our forum page where we'll we'll start this discussion. Um, so we'll uh, sh we'll share the recording, but we'll also uh, provide some other materials. I have a coronavirus resource page, but um, I'll pull that into the forum as well, so folks have access to some of the things I've been collecting around study abroad issues and international. I know a lot of times study abroad offices are are commingled with international student offices. So um, we only, have, I can't believe it, we only have three minutes left. Oh my goodness. So we don't have a lot of time for our last few questions, but let me go through, um, you know, that last one was was a long question, but I think it's, it's a really important one because I know that um, my first thought is always to what are the immediate needs? But like I said, I, I agree. I do think we're now at a point where we can do both. Um, we need to think about the students' immediate needs, but if we aren't planning for the future and thinking, you know, about what we need to be doing for the next few years, really, then we're, you know, it's, it's going to be problematic. We aren't, we have, we can't get caught flat-footed. We have to think through all the scenarios. And actually, um, uh, I'll post these on our, our resource page. For example, Brian Alexander, who was on our first <coughs> webinar, is a, a futurist and professor at Georgetown who has really thought through carefully some of these scenarios. I know somebody else posted on, I can't, I don't know who wrote it, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet, that there are 15 scenarios <laughs> you know, for, for next year. Um, there are a lot of scenarios, but I, for the last question, um, uh, from my friend Helena, uh, why would students pay for virtual learning if a professor can do that without the help of a study abroad provider? I mean, I again, I think the answer is the, the quality of what the professor offers is going to be a lot better if they get support from the study abroad office from a provider. But Chris, I'll let you answer that as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think it, it really is... Um, uh, the same situation that you have when you have in-person um, experience. You know, a professor is not necessarily um, uh, fully versed within a culture themselves. They may have lived, if you were going to Italy, they may have lived there for six months or to study there themselves. But, you know, their ability to impart uh, this comes from their own under underlying knowledge um, and their own experience. And um, what we're seeing, for example, I'll go back to the, to the, um, arts management program with George Mason that we're, we're doing is that, you know, there are certain um, knowledge sets, competencies, cultural pieces that um, are just not possible to impart if, unless you are from the actual country itself or, organize, or, or within an organization. For example, um, Galway was uh, the city of culture in, 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 uh, in Europe this year, and uh, we're looking at uh, the, the director um, uh, or assistant director coming in and speaking about their experience and what COVID means uh, and what an effect that has, has had. And the knowledge within that piece is just not, is not possible. Uh, from a cultural perspective, we may be Skyping into a, a, a far northwestern Ireland um, uh, a, a village and, and talking about language and talking about preservation of culture there and the, and the issues that outbound migration youth are, are holding and, and uh, rural health issues and those types of things. And that's just something that is much richer when you're speaking to somebody with the accent, with the language, living and, and, and breathing in the country that they're in. And so I think there is a, um, 
uh, a fairly widespread understanding that you know this online piece is not a um, a full replacement for this in person uh, in person mobility, um, but in the absence of it, in the short term. Um, the ability to to Skype or Zoom somebody from across the world into your classroom and uh, benefit from their, um, I suppose, cultural knowledge and and uh, and their their professional knowledge, whatever it is that the, the class is doing, um, it can really brighten up a classroom and and really augment the the underlying course. Fantastic. Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap up, but we this is not the end of this discussion, and um, I really, really appreciate uh, Justin and Chris's time today. Um, thanks to everybody who has joined in, um, and we just really want to uh, help you guys as much as we can. Um, we do have uh, uh, free memberships um, that you, if you just want to get into our forums on Shell, but we also need members because we can't, just like you guys can't survive without financial support, we can't survive without financial support. So we really appreciate if you will consider taking a look at our membership. We have a lot to offer, uh, not just these webinars. And um, I really do want to send my heartfelt and most sincere uh, thoughts to everybody who's dealing with the virus. I know my family has been touched by it, not my immediate family, but um, cousins and so on. And, and so I really hope that everybody stays healthy and is, of course, thinking about your, your immediate needs first. But there's a lot to think about here. And um, like I said, we will continue this discussion. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm putting Chris and Justin on the spot by saying we will uh, pull together some material to share with you guys. But um, I think it's really, this is a really, really important topic. And I just haven't seen a whole lot out there that really pulls it together in this way. So again, thank you, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks again. And, and uh, greetings to Ireland. <laughs> um, and uh, Thanks, we'll be talking. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye.